welcome to the Wild Minds podcast for people interested in health, nature-based therapy and learning. We explore cutting-edge approaches that help us improve our relationship with ourselves, others and the natural world. My name is Marina Robb. I'm an author, entrepreneur, forest school, outdoor learning and nature-based trainer and consultant and pioneer in developing green programs for the health service in the UK. You're listening to episode two, nature-centric models and holistic worldviews. Today, we're going to be talking about a growing recognition that life on the planet is in trouble. We're unpacking a nature-centric model which decentralizes the human We're going to be looking at the importance of four key aspects, the body, the head, emotions and spirit, and putting at the forefront of this work the relevance of intra-relationships, multi-perspectives and multi-stories. As always, I like to begin with a little bit of gratitude and this morning, I'm really grateful for those people out there that have been patient with me and have helped me to see things that I would have otherwise struggled to see. And yeah, just thanking people and teachers and even different ways, like different cultures that I've been immersed into in different moments in my life and how how they've both welcomed me and also helped me to see things from a different perspective. Right, so today I'm going to be drawing on a few things that Betsy spoke about in last week's episode. A little bit about this four shields model. I actually don't call it that myself, but again, we're all drawing on different models and different teachers. I want to touch on this idea of rites of passage and also how we are immersed in story and how imagination all play a part in the creation of new possibilities, possibilities of ways of seeing ourselves and seeing other people and and, and actually just understanding experiences that we may have. But before that, I want to just acknowledge, in a sense, one of the reasons why we're doing this. You know, there's a growing recognition that life on this planet is in trouble and that if we want to change, we really need to be thinking of changing our economic systems, our environmental systems, and of course, education. And as somebody that's been in education for 30 years, I do think that education is in a key place to help this kind of work. That's not to say teachers out there that I think it's your responsibility. I absolutely don't think that. But obviously we need to be looking at how we teach each other and um, the people growing up. So let's have a look at this. So educators, parents, policymakers, business owners, all of us are being affected. And of course, that's not mentioning the cultures and people that are living in a lot more harder situations than I find myself. So let's look at some statistics for mental health. In 2022, in the UK, 
18% of children aged 7 to 16 years old and 22% of young people aged 17 to 24 years old had a probable mental disorder. Anxiety is the most common mental illness in the US, affecting 40 million adults. That's 19.1% of the population. And what about some stats for the climate crisis? Well, we know that carbon, the use of carbon, the oil and the petroleum that we're taking out of the earth, that's been laid down for billions, millions of years, um, is having an effect on all of our wider ecological systems. Yes, it's given us a lot, but we now know it's, there's a cost for that. 2022 was the sixth warmest year since records began in 1880. This was in the UK. And the oceans are the hottest ever recorded in 2023. So those are kind of statistics that we're hearing, we read about them, they're in the background. Now I can look at that and I can yeah, be really genuinely worried about that. But but actually what I want to be thinking of, and it's something that Betsy picked up on, that these are symptoms of a larger mindset, a way of thinking that has actually been dominating certainly Western culture for many, many years. And I, for one, you know, know that we don't realise these things because when we're born into something, we just don't understand the effects of, let's say, these stories, these cultures that we're brought up in in our family, or as I say, the, the, the kind of culture, the way things that happen around us, we're often, we just don't realise because we think it's normal. And actually, our normal isn't necessarily normal. It's normal where we find ourselves, but it's certainly not normal across the world or in other ways of thinking and being, and certainly not from people that have lived on the land for many, many years and other, and other places that actually really understand this feeling of the importance of how the land feeds us and how we have a part to play in that. So these are symptoms and, you know, we need to come up with different ways. So the way I've been thinking about it over my lifetime is that in this is simple. I appreciate that, that our culture is set up with a top-down structure, sometimes like a pyramid. And at the top of that pyramid sit wealthier humans. Yes, often white, wealthier humans. Definitely the male species have been holding a lot of power and, of course, white females too in different situations. And then it seems that the culture we've been brought up in is that everything else is below, beneath that kind of uh, top structure. So other other humans are seen as kind of not as valuable and as not important. And of course, underneath that, the children, maybe our own personal children are important, but we're not really considering the children. Of course, the children of all the other animals and um, even plants, their importance and other living beings. So we really esteem the human race. And of course, that makes sense because we're, again, brought up to look after ourselves. It's, it's a thing that I'm not going to get into right now, but I, I kind of get it. But I also get that we're not brought up feeling that we have a relationship with everything else and that there's this kind of reciprocal thing going on. OK. However, what I do know is I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to sit around and listen and and hear from other perspectives. And turns out 
that there are lots of different ways of looking at our reality. And certainly there are whole worldviews, ecological worldviews, relational worldviews that exist. Now, I'm talking about this because I said that we were going to look at this four shields model. And I, and I tend to call this model similar, not the same, a nature centric model. And I've been um, working with all kinds of groups and backgrounds, and I place this model underneath a lot of what I'm working with. And it kind of informs my values, it informs my perspectives, and it decentralizes the human. So it places the human, let's say, on a, on a circle, on a wheel, rather than a top-down type of structure. So we call this a nature-centric model. And as I've said, there are lots of versions of this. Betsy was talking about a four shields model, and we can learn more about that through the Lost School, School of Lost Borders. Go back and look at the show notes around that. But I call it a nature-centric model because it, it's just a way of me describing a, a model that is inclusive of the natural world, the, the non-human world. And I like to see it as a circle, as I say. We're going to add some show notes, a little bit about this. So if you want to go there and download the PDF, feel welcome to do that. So these models are also maps and they often use directions. So I want you to imagine a compass that has a circle. Um, so let's say a piece of paper. Like a compass, it, you've got a circle and you put north in the north, east in the east, south in the south, west um, in the west. And that kind of maps out the directions. Now, we can go into more of this another time, but you, you have sun maps that look at the travelling of the sun um, on this circle. Of course, from the, the Earth perspective, we think the sun is moving, but of course it's the earth going round. But we could put the sun rising in the east, setting in the west and so on. We have seasonal maps, thinking about the springtime, summertime, autumn time and wintertime. Put that on the map. We also have human maps that reflect this model, psychological maps and plant maps as well. This is a call out to all you educators and health practitioners. Are you ready to revolutionise your career with outdoor learning? Don't let your practice become stale. You could be depriving your students or clients of life-changing outdoor experiences. Envision a world of possibilities, masterclasses, 120 instructional videos, and year-long session plans, all accessible at theoutdoorteacher.com slash certificate. Enhance your career and embark on an extraordinary learning journey today. And lastly, if you're based in the UK, why not immerse yourself in nature with one of my transformative trainings in the beautiful landscapes of Sussex? Discover more about our in-person courses at circleoflife-rediscovery.com. What I would say they all have in common, though, is this idea of this intra-relational aspect. I'm going to mention that later on, you know, that we kind of think we're all separate, this subject, object, subject, object, but really we're quite porous. There's this thing going on that is beyond the self. So these maps kind of reflect that. 
everything is influencing each other and shaping each other. And I think sometimes we just aren't um, aware or, or have enough bandwidth in our senses to pick this up. And we're not taught it. We're not taught to notice things, to not taught about this relationship. And of course, what this does when we pay attention is it gives us this holistic view. And that word holistic comes up a lot. This whole view, an integrated model that actually gives us this whole perspective rather than just a human lens perspective. It allows us, it gives it gives us the possibility of tempting to see things from different perspectives. So we could say that this is this is a perspective that absolutely includes the non-human world. I love this idea that there are billions of languages going on there that are absolutely non-verbal, definitely don't speak the same language as the humans, but there are these languages that exist. And of course, these languages human or non-human have stories and these languages tell us about our lives and how things are and it's as a human it's just really easy to forget that we are being immersed in a particular story you know we all know that we've grown we've grown up in all sorts of situations and stuff has happened around us some really not very nice stuff and we have our story about that and Sometimes that story is spot on and we, we know exactly how that felt. And sometimes that story was, was a story that we made up to help make sense of something that actually may not in any way have been the whole story. So I love this idea of story, that we're story makers. And when we can catch that, we can also start to change stories or, or ask good questions so that we're informing the story from other lenses. So I think this has big implications for our personal life and the wider culture in deciding for ourselves and for others what matters and the policies that need to be in place. And remember going back to those pretty harsh statistics and thinking, you know, these are symptoms of a, a kind of worldview, a story that we're telling ourselves of the importance only of humans. And I get it. I, I want to survive. I want to thrive. But I'm not going to survive and I'm not going to thrive if I'm not really appreciating the things that help me survive and help me thrive. So, again, going back to this model, we're only touching on it, remember, but this model, this nature centric model, you've got this map, you've got this circle, you've got these directions. And we can, for example, we think of the east, the place of the sunrise. So we put the sunrise in the east and we think of East aspects, we attribute aspects to that. And that could be things like inspiration, imagination, vision, all the things that perhaps the sunrise may evoke. And this particular area of the map thinks, I kind of think of it as that pre-dawn, dawn quality that is sometimes really quite magical. And it really puts us, if, if you've been an, on a, in a place and you've seen the sunrise over the sea or anywhere it's it's a wonderful kind of otherworldly feeling and it's we could say it holds a key aspect of what it is to be human our spirituality so we put that in the east 
And I just think of that nice otherworldly kind of feeling. You know, if you've ever seen a baby, if you've ever been lucky enough to hold a baby, who, which isn't definitely crying and screaming, and you can look at them and they just feel like otherworldly. They feel still connected to something that is, well, for me, unexplainable. So we, we put that in the East and it also is that elder, you know, that time of the elderhood when if you've ever been around someone that dies and there's, a, there, obviously there's all kinds of deaths, but that, that kind of quality where you feel the peace and you see this kind of otherworldly, they're all connected and we can put them in right at the beginning in the East at that sunrise moment. And of course, that sense of awe. So what, what does that mean for application? What do we do with that kind of knowledge? Well, from a very practical point of view, remember I'm running programs with early years, teenagers, adults, all kinds. Well, how am I making sense of having that knowledge? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering the importance of that aspect, first of all, and, and I'm applying it and thinking, Okay, let's me think about children. Well, okay, there's this otherworldly, innocent aspect, this trust aspect that baby needs to trust. And let's hope that we we honour that. <laughs> of course, it doesn't happen for all kinds of reasons, but that is a place of trust. And as that child starts to grow, of course, like animals, we are animals. That child needs to move, it needs to play, to be curious and really find the body. The body is the centre of, of this phase, so the moving from the east to the south. So my programmes need to reflect this. I cannot be working with that age group, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and not consider that they need to be in their body. We want to be supporting curiosity. We want to be supporting that intuition, that inner teaching, that sense that they can follow and explore. Of course, we need boundaries. Of course, we need the connection to the adults, to the older people looking after them. But our program needs to reflect this. Then we might have the south. Let's move to the south of our little diagram, the place of the summer. Well, the sun is high in highest in the sky. And um, in the northern hemisphere, this is where we have a lot of the flowering times, and and all that kind of sexuality and we might put that stage of life of adolescence or at least moving through that into adolescence and of course puberty sexuality and I certainly remember and, and work with this age group and you know you become very self-conscious at this time and it's 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 a really key time so we don't want to waste um people's energy at this point as well. So we might focus them and give them activities that focus them and it may be activities that help them be more aware of the animals, the birds, the plants, um, something that they can really apply that, that energy and, and focus them. So again, that would reflect. So we're reflecting the age they're in, the time of day, the season and so on. And of course, as everything keeps moving in nature, nothing stays the same. That's another great teaching of the natural world. We then move to um, our real sense of um, feelings and emotions, which we could say are placed in the West, emotions and feelings. And of course, as we grow, we move into our adulthood. And this is a time of 
the sunset, the west, the autumn. So often in our programs, we are remembering to gather people together at the end, to have time to reflect, to hang out, to be together, to share things if we want to, and so on. So our programs reflect reflect that in our planning as well. And finally, we move around that wheel to the north, to the winter time. And here we put the head, the rational thinking, the capacity to organize, to make plans. And again, we think about that in terms of our planning as the time, the night time, the time for reflection. Perhaps the program has ended and you've sent uh, the group with a little task, something that they may do in their own time, something to consolidate learning and they dream it, they think about it, they dream it, they go into the night and, and then they come back. And of course we start again because these wheels, these circles never stop. So let me just recap. For me, whether you call it the four shields model or whether you call it a nature centric model, what's it, what, it, what it's calling on is really bringing to our attention these four aspects, spirituality, the body, the physical, the emotions, the feelings, the senses, and of course, the rational thinking. So these models are complex. I'm only touching on it today. I don't want to spend too much of your precious time, but these models really expand our understanding of these four aspects of what it is to be human. The rational part, the emotional part, the spiritual part, the physical part. And from that, we can learn to develop these aspects all the time, remembering that our lives are in the hands of many others, <laughs> making sure that we remember the land, the animals, the birds, all the different people with all the different perspectives that inform our life. So it enables us to expand our worldview and it takes us away from these structures that are very top down. And as so many of you would have heard, it brings us back into this deeper understanding of this web of life. So Betsy also talked about rites of passage. That's a subject for a whole other uh, episode, no doubt, and probably many more. But here I just want to acknowledge that here we're talking about that life is really full of transitions. And Sometimes we really like to mark these tra transitions, acknowledge that we're going through something, that a change is happening, you know, from a, tra a transition from um, being not a mother to a mother, a huge transition and what that can bring. And there are ways of marking it and honouring it and understanding that both developmentally transitions happen that enable us to see things from different perspectives. And of course, in other cultures, they knew that and they marked it and they celebrated it. And they also kind of um, enabled it. They pulled, pulled the, the population, the culture along so that, so that we would stop seeing the world from a very um, narrow lens and enable us to have experiences that suddenly, sometimes without really understanding why, suddenly opened our minds to see something from a different perspective doesn't necessarily make you happier, but it certainly opens um, your experience. And this idea of mind, that it's beyond the head, it's, it's much more inclusive. So 
I think I have said a lot here, folks. So I'm going to end it there. Remember, you can go and look at some of the show notes. You can read over it. And I'm going to invite you to consider how much you may be stuck in your head. Perhaps you work too hard and you don't play enough. Or maybe you're too airy-fairy and you're not grounded enough. Maybe you're too much in that pre-dawn, dawn phase. Perhaps you're not listening to what your body knows or you're just too self-absorbed. Or maybe you spend too much time in self-reflection and introspection and you feel lonely and depressed. Just consider those things and think why treading and exploring these models might be valuable for you personally or in the work that we're all doing. And hopefully to kind of expand this sense of self. Yes, there's the I. Yes, Marina here is the I. But we also have this relational self that is constantly being influenced and um, fed and exchanged with the natural world, but also other people as well. We'll be exploring that a lot more over these uh, podcasts. So also a lot of the work that I'm doing draws on these models. A lot of the courses that we're, we're, we develop are centered on using the wheel and, and understanding the wheel and making it an experiential um, experience to, to really build and understand how this can influence our programs. I don't know if we're gonna improve or get better mental health or really move our understanding about what we're doing with and to the earth, like in the climate crisis, without actually exploring these aspects more deep, deeply. And I certainly want to find another story, a way of reimagining and finding ways forward and change the way that we do things. And I hope you're going to join me on this journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wild Minds podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share and leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will help others find the show. To stay updated with the Wild Minds podcast and get all the behind the scenes content, including show notes and links to the website, you can visit the out doorteacher.com or follow me on Facebook at The Outdoor Teacher UK and LinkedIn Marina Rob. For this episode, we've created a free PDF to download about nature-centric models, which will help you get started. Just go to the show notes. The music was written and performed by Jeff Robb. Join me next week as we take a closer look at celebrating play and a life well-lived with Juliet Robertson, an author and educational consultant in outdoor learning and play. Until next time. Are you curious about the guitar music in my podcast? It's actually my husband, Jeff Robb. He's taking his woodland-inspired show, The Music of Trees, on tour in England and Wales this May, June and July. Get tickets at jeffrobb.com slash shows. Mm -hmm.